Good morning, and uh, so glad that you're here with us today, virtually. My name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and uh, I wish, uh, I think as all of us do, that we could be together face-to-face this morning. I wish I could shake your hand and give you a hug. I wish I could smell your coffee breath and share mine with you as well, and I wish I could, I wish I could chase your little one around the sanctuary. Uh, We, the staff of Christ Central Church, we miss you very much. But at the same time, I I have to give thanks for the fact that with all this modern technology, we still have the ability to be together, to to gather on some level nonetheless, and I'm super grateful for that. I do want to let you know that as a church, we are continuing to monitor the CDCs and the local government recommendations, and because of the statewide and local stay-at-home orders, we know that we will be continuing to do online worship through the month of April, and we will definitely keep you posted as we make plans beyond that date. This morning, we come now to the end of our Chasing Meaning sermon series, a study that we've been doing in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't know about you, but I have truly marveled at God's goodness to us and and leading us to this book at this time. No doubt this book has been a powerful way to prepare us for all that we are going through with the coronavirus. What a gift this book has been to my own soul and hopefully to all of you as well. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at the final five verses of the text, which in fact are an epilogue to the book. A commentary on the preacher's work, certainly written by someone other than the preacher and most likely after the fact. And the purpose of these five verses is to summarize all that the preacher has been saying and to hopefully give us some real practical application, some encouragement on where to go from here. And so here at last, our chase for meaning finally comes to an end. And I want to invite you, as is our custom, wherever you are, if you would stand as we give reverence to the reading of God's word. Our text is in chapter 12, Ecclesiastes 12. We're going to begin in verse 8 through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. believe your word is true. We ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word that we would hear your voice, that we would encounter you, the living God, and as we encounter you, that we would be transformed. 
God, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to begin this morning by making a confession. I have a secret love for all the books on the teenage bestseller list. Harry Potter, Hunger Games. I still haven't gotten to Twilight, but it's on my list. I love these kind of books. And, and one of my favorites from this genre is called The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. It's the story of two teenagers who are both battling cancer, and in, as in all teenage classics, they fall in love. But unlike in most other teenage love stories, this story doesn't end with a fairy tale wedding. No, in this story, one of the characters, Cancer, comes back. He comes back with a vengeance, and his life ends unexpectedly with just a few weeks' notice. And then the final scene of the story shows Hazel Grace, the, the teenager who was left behind, lying in the grass, and she's staring up at the stars. Clearly, she's chasing meaning in the face of such great tragedy. And the story ends with her looking up at the sky and speaking a single word. She says, okay. And that's it. Roll the credits, no fairy tale ending this time. Church, I think if we're honest, as we've been walking through this book of Ecclesiastes, chasing after meeting all along the way, our fear has been that this story is going to simply end with the word, okay. That the big reveal at the end of the book is going to be that there is no meaning to be found after all. And it's not that the preacher hasn't warned us that this might be the case. I mean, the consistent refrain of the book has been vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And yet I think we've all been hoping against hope that maybe, just maybe, not everything is vanity. And the good news is that our hope has not been in vain. The message of these final five, five verses is that in spite of all this vanity that surrounds us and in many ways engulfs us, there is in fact meaning to be found under the sun. I've got three points this morning all relating to this meaning that we are so longing to discover. First, how we find it. Secondly, where it's found. And then lastly, why it's found there. So let's begin. How we find meaning. The first verse in our text is an important one because they are actually the preacher's final words, verse 8. And for those of you who've been paying close attention, you will recall that the preacher's final words are in fact identical to his first words. He ends the exact same way that he began. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And at first glance, this might seem pretty discouraging. It sounds a lot like Hazel Grace's okay, doesn't it? That after all this prose, all this searching, and doggone it, we're right back where we started from. And it makes us wonder, what was the point of all this chasing? I think the point was, to quote Philip Ryken, that although this journey called Ecclesiastes has in fact led us right back to where we started, we are not the same people that we were when we started, are we? 
This book has given us an even greater perspective on life. I know for myself, Ecclesiastes has enabled me to more clearly see all the vain things in my life that I'm so prone to look to for meaning. Money, power, approval, success, wisdom, pleasure. Don't get me wrong, I have in no way been cured of my inclination to chase meaning in these wrong places, but I am certainly more woke to the dangers of doing so, which I really think is what the preacher has been working towards all along. He knows that we're not going to cease to look for meaning from vain things altogether. He knows that because he's already confessed to us time and time again that he himself spent the vast majority of his life doing the exact same thing. But rather, I think his hope is that we will begin to engage life more aware that we have a choice, a choice to either heed his wisdom or, like he did, learn the hard way. He's challenging us to see each and every moment in life as a crossroads, if you will, One path leading to vanity and to meaninglessness and one path leading to purpose and meaningfulness. And yet, as as we all know from experience, the reason it's so hard to heed the preacher's wisdom and choose the pathway of meaningfulness is because the pathway to vanity has no clear end in sight. What do I mean? Well, if we're chasing meaning through wisdom, there's always more wisdom to be acquired. If we're chasing meaning through money, there's always more money to be gained. If we're chasing meaning through success or pleasure or approval, whatever it might be, that thing that we are chasing is always on the horizon. It's always just beyond our reach. So it's very hard to believe that if we were to ever actually attain it, that it actually wouldn't really satisfy Just why the preacher's words are so helpful if we can trust them. Because he's saying that he actually got to the end of the vain pathway. He actually acquired all the wisdom that one can acquire, all the money, success, pleasure, approval that can be gotten, and it was still vanity. It was still meaningless. It was still smoke slipping through his fingers. So then how do we find meaning under the sun in this life? And forgive me if this sounds overly simplistic, but I believe what the preacher is saying is that the way we find meaning is by choosing the meaning path and not the meaningless one. We choose that meaningful path. I think the whole purpose of these 12 chapters is is to prepare us, to empower us to make that decision to choose the right path because the preacher knows that until we have drunk deeply of the cup of life's vanity, we will never be able to choose the meaningful path that the preacher is about to put before us. Which brings us to our second point this morning. Without further ado, what is the meaningful path in life? Here's the grand reveal. Look with me now in verse 13. It says, the end of the matter All has been heard. The preacher's saying, here is the final word, the answer that we've all been waiting for. And he says, fear God and keep his commandments. Isn't it interesting that the pathway to meaning involves fear, especially in this time when our country is at an all-time high when it comes to fear? 
Appropriately, appropriately so, right? Because, because what is fear? Well, fear is an awareness that we are not in control combined with an awareness that something bad is likely to happen to us. I'll say that again. Fear is an awareness that we are not in control combined with an awareness that something bad is likely to happen to us. Is that not what the coronavirus is producing in all of us, a keen awareness that we are not in control? We are so out of control, we are not even permitted to leave our homes. We are prisoners in our own houses if we are so blessed as to have a home. And no doubt the likelihood that something bad is going to happen to us has gone through the roof. All of us are afraid right now. The thing I want to draw your attention to this morning is not so much your fear, but rather that which you are grabbing hold of in your fear. I've only been to a, a haunted house one time in my life. I don't like to be startled. I hate scary movies. Yet somehow, years ago, a, a young lady convinced me to go with her into one of these horrible creations. And as we're walking through this haunted house together, this girl kept grabbing my arm every time something would jump out at us. She didn't even think about doing it. It was instinctive for her. She just grabbed me. She needed something to hold on to, something to anchor herself, something to counteract the fear that she was feeling and convince her that she was okay, that she was safe, that she was going to survive this dreadful place. The truth is, I was probably more scared than she was, and deep down, I wanted to grab hold of her, but at this point in my life, I was too prideful to admit it. Well, the reason I share that with you is because what we recognize in fear is that in fear we're always groping for something, something to give us security, something to give us comfort, something to make the scariness go away. My question for you this morning is what have you been grabbing hold of these past few weeks? Is it money? Have you been incessantly checking the stock market? hoping that your savings are not lost? Is it success? Have you thrown yourself into your work as best you can? Is it comfort? Have you tried to find security in alcohol or Netflix or shopping or exercise? Is it your appearance? Have you tried to find comfort in your body or maybe in your looks? Now, what makes this question so particularly potent right now is that so many of the things that we are prone to grab hold of when we are afraid have been taken from us by COVID-19. The stock market has plummeted. Some of us have lost our jobs and others will lose our job, their jobs in the near future. The, the fitness centers are closed, so we're all getting a little flabby. The salons are closed and our true hair color is about to be revealed just wait until you see what my true hair color is. All joking aside, we have very little that we can grab hold of in this terrifying pandemic, which is exactly why this text is so pertinent for where we are right now. Because when the Bible speaks of fearing God, it's not asking that we rid ourselves of the normal human fears that come from being out of control, that come from the possibility of being hurt, but rather it's referring to what we grab hold of in our fears. Don't miss this, church. To fear God and keep his commandments is to grab hold of God and him alone when we are afraid. 
I've shared this before, but one of my children is extremely afraid of heights. And being the thoughtful parent that I am, last year I decided to book us a vacation in the mountains. Clearly I'm a slow learner, but on this vacation we decided to visit Blowing Rock State Park. And at the state park there are these trails that go along these suspended bridges that jut out over the mountains. Terrible thing for someone who's afraid of heights. And when my daughter and I came to this suspended bridge, she panicked. She was terrified. But, but somehow, after much discussion, I was able to convince her to hold my hand and to stand on the mountainside away from the cliff and to walk with me across the bridge. And I told her to not look over the edge, but to look down at the bridge and encouraged her one step at a time, holding her hand firmly all the way across. Church, I know that you are scared. I, I am too. And all of us are searching for something to grab hold of in the midst of all this fear. But the message of Ecclesiastes is that there is nothing under the sun that is strong enough to grab hold of. It's all smoke. It will inevitably slip right through your fingers. There's nothing under the sun that will give you the security, the comfort, the meaning that you are looking for. But God, when we grab hold of him, he is strong enough to hold you up, to keep you safe. He will not slip through your fingers. He will give you the security, the comfort, and the meaning that you are looking for. He promises to hold our hand every step of the way, and he is promising and inviting to hold you in this coronavirus. He alone is trustworthy. Remember the words from Lamentations chapter 3, the steadfast Lord of the Lord, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And let us not forget the promise of Hebrews 13. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you in the trials. And church, are not the gentle words spoken to my daughter as we walked the bridge the perfect parallel to God's commandments in Scripture? I said to her, step right here, sweetheart. One more step. I promise you're safe. Trust me, you're going to make it. A little bit further, you did it. Does not God's law functions in, function in the exact same way? I, I realize that many of us are prone to think of God's law as, as, as restrictive, as oppressive, as a killjoy, but I'd like to invite you to think of God's law as the gentle words of a loving father who knows what's best for you, who's guiding you along the pathway, the pathway to true meaning and joy. God's saying to us, step right here, my son, my daughter. I promise it's safe. Trust me. This is the way to go. I know because I made this path for you to enjoy, to enjoy with me. You see, the call of the Christian life is not to be fearless, but rather in our fear to raise our eyes to look, stop looking under the sun and to look over the sun, to look to the one who extends his hand to us and who invites us to walk with him every step of the way. And church, that is what life under the sun is all about. Look at verse 13. It says, 
for this is the whole duty of man. In fact, the word duty is added in the English translation. What it literally says is this is the whole of man. This is what life is all about. This is the only place where true meaning is found. Because we're all looking for something to fill us, something to make us whole, amen. We're, we're, we're looking for something to bring us home. And yet what our text reveals is that the only place we will be made whole is in walking in intimate fellowship with God, in fearing him and doing what he says. Because this is how God made us to live and to be. As St. Augustine rightly said many, many years ago, thou has made us for thyself, and our heart is restless till it rests in thee. Which brings us to our third and final point. Why is meaning found here in fearing God and keeping his commandments? Look again with me at verse 14, the last verse of our text. It says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. See, what verse 14 reveals is that the reason why meaning is found in fearing God and keeping his commandments is because there is, in fact, a God in heaven who rules the world, and there is life to come after this life. You see, because if these things are not true, if there is no God in heaven who rules the world, and there is no life to come after this life, then verse 8 stands, doesn't it? All is, in fact, vanity. There's a painfully beautiful picture of this reality in the play After the Fall by the late, great Arthur Miller. The main char character, Quentin, is reflecting back on his life after all has been lost, and he says these words. He says, for many years I looked at life like a case at law. It was a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are or smart. Then what a good lover, then a good father, finally how wise or powerful. But underlying it all, I see now there was a presumption that one moved on an upward path towards some elevation where God knows what, I would be justified or even condemned. A verdict anyway. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight. And all that remained was the endless argument with oneself this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. See, Quentin's argument is that if there is no God, then there is no judge. And if there is no judge, then there's no final judgment. If there's no final judgment, there's no ultimate meaning to life. Therefore, nothing matters. If the bench is empty, then what's the point? or playing with our pathway analogy from before, if God is not the judge and there's no life after this life, then who really cares what he, that he is with you on the path? And who really cares what he has to say to us along the way, what he has to say to us in his word, because what does he know? And yet, church, to be a Christian is to believe otherwise. It necessarily is, is such. Intrinsic to the gospel is the belief that God is on the throne and that death is not all that it's cracked up to be. And when we believe that, that which cultivates the most vanity of all, death itself becomes powerless to rob us of our meaning. Which is why the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 are so triumphant. He says, one day the trumpet will sound. 
and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Because church, in the same way that death sucks the meaning out of life, life after death fills our every move with meaning. Because all of our actions under the sun now have eternal ramifications. Listen to how this belief in life after death empowers Paul to live differently under the sun. This is Philippians 3. Paul says, whatever gain I had, like the preacher, he's talking about all the vain things that he had acquired in this life. It says he counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul saying, I turned away from the vain path and I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Church, there's a weighty application for us in this season. When we fear God, we can cast aside this temptation that is all around us to hoard, to focus on self. And instead, we are empowered to give and to focus on other because we know that nothing under the sun will truly satisfy. Church, the good news that, that empowers us to live that way, not just of Ecclesiastes, but of the whole Bible, is that the bench is not empty. But the great judge is on the bench, and he will bring every deed into judgment, as verse 14 says. And church, what we know to be true that which the preacher only knew in part, but we now know in full, is that for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our case has already been tried, and the verdict has already been given. As Paul makes plain in 2 Corinthians 5, somebody has showed up to be the defendant in our place. Paul says God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Somebody stood before the judge and took credit for all the evil deeds, even the secret ones, the ones that only God knows about. He took credit for them on our behalf. In a few weeks on Good Friday, we were going to stare in wonder at the fact that God didn't let this person off the hook. And God did bring every single wicked deed into judgment, and he did it on the cross of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you can rest assured that because of what Christ has done, your verdict is not guilty. And therefore, your life will not end under the sun, but you will experience intimacy with God after death and for all eternity. How good is that news in the midst of all that we are seeing going on right now? Church, I hope and pray that that reality, more than anything else, informs the way you live your life in the here and now. May that reality motivate you to reject the vain pathway and to embrace the pathway that leads to true meaning and, and true joy, the pathway of fearing God and keeping his commandments. Remember how I shared with you about the walk my daughter and I had on the bridge at Blowing Rock? Well, unfortunately, the trail was not a loop. We actually had to come back across that very same bridge. Well, you know what was amazing is on the way back, my daughter still held my hand. She still took it one step at a time. But this time, she was able to raise her eyes and to take in the beauty 
that was all around us. And, and, and much to my surprise, I, I looked over and I found that she was not walking but skipping across the bridge. Brothers and sisters, the pathway to meaningful living is, living is to grab hold of the outstretched hand of our Heavenly Father, to listen to His Word, to listen as He coaches us along the path with treacherous cliffs on either side, but infinite security in His hands. And if we do that, if and when we refuse to look for meaning in all the vain things under the sun, and instead we find our meaning in Him, there is a whole life awaiting us, a full life, a life full of highs and lows, of success and failure, of winning and losing, of joy and sorrow, of life and death and life after death, and of true meaning and purpose in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we need to hear this word right now. We're all afraid. Life feels out of control. And it seems likely that we're going to get hurt or someone we love is going to get hurt. And that suffering is, is everywhere around us. Father, would you help us to see that you are with us in this pain, that you have extended your hand to us. You've invited us to grab hold of you to listen to you as you guide us and coach us along the way, showing us the way to true and meaningful living. Father, help us to heed these wise words of Ecclesiastes and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name.